0: The grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the words of Jim Morrison and the Doors, this is the end, my only friend, the end. Well, at least it's the end of our sola sermon series for our Life Group Reformation topic, Reformed. During the last five weeks, we've taken a look at his various solas and how they can influence our lives. I like to refer to this as the Lutheran sola system. There is solus Christus, Christ alone. All of scripture points to Christ. All of salvation was accomplished by Christ alone. Then there is sola scriptura, scripture alone. The only way we are going to know and believe in God's love for us in Christ is in the Bible, God's holy word. Then there is sola gratia, grace alone. The only way we can get right with God is by the gift of his son, Jesus Christ his favorable disposition toward us on account of Christ. Then there's sola fide, faith alone. The only way to receive God's grace in Christ Jesus is simply to believe. We don't contribute a thing. And then we wrap it up today with soli deo gloria, to God alone be glory. When we realize what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, what else can we do but give him all the glory? That is what a life reformed does. A life reformed recognizes that it's never been about our actions, but about God's actions. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. As the words of Scripture declare, Not to us, O Lord, but to thy name be glory given. Soli Deo Gloria. That means, to God alone be glory. And as we remember so many of God's blessings, it might be tempting to glory in ourselves. Look at the work of Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. Look at the impact of the Reformation, whose 501-year anniversary we're celebrating this year. We might be tempted to glory in our Lutheran identity and our Lutheran history, but remember, solid Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. Martin Luther remembered that but only after he struggled with himself. The Bible talks about the righteousness of God. There was a time when Luther thought that meant he had to become righteous before God. What a struggle, a rather self-centered struggle. As Luther struggled to make himself worthy of God's favor, he always came up short, just like you and me. Luther found himself bound by guilt and fear, just like you and me. But then Luther discovered that the righteousness of God is not a condition in us, but a gift from God. Wow! What a discovery! What a recovery! What a recovery of the gospel for the Church of Christ! And this year, as in our series, as we celebrate the 501st anniversary of the Reformation, we rejoice and thank God that the gospel has been recovered so that all who hear it might be saved. In addition to providing the theological basis for all of these solas, the faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, another unique contribution of Luther was his demonstration of how God uses paradoxes to get his grace to us. Now, a paradox is not two doxins. A paradox is when two things which seem to be opposite to each other are still both true at the same time. Like Tweedledee and Tweedledum, or like being an Angels fan and a Dodgers fan at the same time. It makes no sense. Even Jesus spoke at times using paradox. For example, Jesus said, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And four of Luther's famous paradoxes are as follows 1. God becoming human in Christ Jesus. 2. God humbling himself in Christ Jesus. Three, God using the opposites of law and gospel to make us his children. And four, the puzzling but peaceful reality that as God's children, we are both saint and sinner at the same time. At creation, God formed us in his image, but we screwed that up. Now in these paradoxes, we see God's grace, which reforms our lives. And for that, we say, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. A recurrent theme for Luther was the notion that the finite is the bearer of the infinite. Our infinite God deals with us through finite means. The God we encounter in scripture is the God of in, with, and under. He's always hiding himself in plain sight under created things. The incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ, is the grandest example and sets a divine precedent for the way in which God deals with us. Luther wrote, To the first point, I will say equally well that it is not reasonable that God should descend from heaven and enter into the womb, that he who nourishes, sustains, and encompasses all the world should allow himself to be nourished and encompassed by the Virgin. It's not reasonable, hence the paradox. The now sainted Dr. Arthur Carl Peepcorn of the Concordia Seminary faculty in St. Louis famously stated along these lines Lutherans eat Paradox for breakfast. Well, that's a lot more quote-worthy than my statement. Lutheran theology embraces a proclivity for intellectual dissonance. It doesn't work as well on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Embrace the paradox. Embracing the paradoxical is the difference between thus saith the Lord and did God really say. God became flesh. That is how we see God. That's the only way we can know God. Jesus prayed in our reading from John, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. You want to know God? Then get to know Jesus. Want to find Jesus? Then get into his word and get into his sacraments. He's right here among us, and he will reform your life. He will change your life from the inside out. Our awesome God is, Comes to us in ways that we can see and touch and relate to, and for that we say, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Another paradox is that the Almighty God humbles himself. We're talking about the Creator of the universe, a God that made something, made everything out of nothing, but He humbled Himself in Christ. He dwelt among the very creation He made. Then he suffered. Then he died. A number of paradoxes become evident here. God reveals himself by hiding himself in Christ. God heals his people by suffering in Christ. God's power is seen in weakness. God gives us life by dying. Go figure. God found us through his suffering on the cross. Thus we find God in his sufferings in the cross through Christ. And this is diametrically opposed to human reason, yet it is humbly accepted in trust, in faith, and for that we say, soli deo gloria. The law-gospel dynamic is another paradox in Luther's theology. The distinction between law and gospel is as follows. The law accuses and the gospel excuses for the sake of Christ. The law demands, and the gospel gives. The law threatens, and the gospel promises. The law serves the alien work of God, and the gospel serves the proper work of God. The law prepares us for the gospel, Luther wrote, and that which is in Isaiah 28-21 calls the alien work of God, that he may do his work. That is, he humbles us thoroughly, making us despair so that he may exalt us in his mercy, giving us hope. God has to empty our cup, which overfloweth with sin, so that he can fill our cup with Jesus. Ironically, we see a paradoxical unity of law gospel on the cross. There, God's love and God's wrath are revealed simultaneously. God's love is extended to you and me because God's wrath was laid upon his Son. And for that we say, soli Deo Gloria. And there is a paradoxical nature within the Christian. In Latin, we call it the simul Justus et Peccator. We are simultaneously saint and sinner. The old man is in us; in us is completely corrupt by nature. The new man in us is completely righteous by faith. But this righteousness is an external righteousness. Luther wrote in two kinds of righteousness. The first is an alien righteousness, that is, the righteousness of another instilled from without. This is the righteousness of Christ by which he justifies through faith. That righteousness has, come, has to come to us from the outside. We are by nature navel-gazers, always looking for righteousness inside ourselves. But no righteousness there. It comes from the outside, from Christ." That's how God sees us now, as righteous because we have the righteousness of Jesus. But on the other hand, we still sin. It's so frustrating. So which is it? Are we righteous or sinful? And the answer, my dear friends in Christ, is yes. The paradoxical tension between our sinfulness and our righteousness will continue until death. Continuing on in the freedom of a Christian man, Luther wrote, As long as we live in the flesh, we only begin to make some progress and that which shall be perfected in the future life. So despite the reality of Christ's righteousness credited to us in faith, the church still needs to present the reality of sin. If it does not, we will cling to an inner righteousness in ourselves. Only when we see the nature of our sin can and receive can we see and receive the righteousness of Christ ironically the closer we are to grace the more aware of our sin we are and the more grateful we are for that grace take a moment today and let that grace sink in amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and for that we say Soli deo gloria Paradoxes don't have to be reasonable to be acceptable. God isn't asking us to understand with our reason why and how he does the things he does. He is, however, asking us to trust what he has done and continues to do for us. Through these paradoxes, God reforms our lives. These paradoxes put us at God's mercy, and I can't think of a better place to be in the mercy of God. And for that we say... Sole Deo Gloria. And now the peace of God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.